Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure that you knew that my online knee course with Lenny Macrina is on sale for $200 off this week. If you want to learn exactly how to evaluate and treat the knee, you're going to love our comprehensive course where we cover our clinical examination, exercise progressions, and specific information on ACL, meniscus, patellofemoral, articular cartilage, osteoarthritis, and so much more. Plus, you can earn a ton of CEU credit. The course is on sale this week for $200 off. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about patellar tendon grafts, we talk about periodization for inhibited muscle groups, and we talk about asymmetries in athletes and what to do about it. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. We're up here at Champion PT and Performance up in Boston, Mass. We're here with Mike Scaduto, Dan Pope, Dave Tilly, Lenny McCrina, all the PTs at Champion are in the house today. Big student crew. We're just this is the backwards episode. We're doing Lexi Malone from Simmons College. Nailed it. <laughs> Travis Stepp from the University of Kentucky. And Matt Kelly from Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia. <laughs> Nailed it. Took, took me a few episodes, but I got it. So alright, what do we got for questions? Travis, you started it today? Alright, we got it. Storm from Tennessee. Wow. Got any questions? Storm, love it. Actually. On an earlier podcast, you address bone patellar bone autograph likely being the best ACL replacement option for the younger active population. Some surgeons claim this method results in significant patellofemoral issues like pain and arthritis down the road, leading the surgeon to prefer other options. Do you find this to be true, or is it mostly dependent on post-op therapy? All right, so bone patellar bone uh, autograft for ACL reconstruction. Len, what's the science showing of that graft getting arthritis down the road versus other grafts? Yeah, there was actually just a paper that just came out. I think it was AJSM. I think I tweeted it like the, recently. Not that you'll not put that, that we're going to use time, but, right? But, but there is a recent <laughs> paper that just came out that did show a higher incidence of patellofemoral arthritis in the post-op ACL using a, a patella tendon graft. But to me, I think as the field of PT and just us in general, there's a reason why our retail rates are so high and there's a reason why our our long-term results are not so good. I think we're, we're, we're still struggling with rehabbing this population of people, with getting them back too soon, potentially, uh, with getting them back too, uh, without a, a sufficient quad and glute strength. So I think it's not just one thing. I don't think the patella tendon graft is causing patellofemoral arthritis. I think it's a mix of everything, that there was a traumatic injury to the joint. We threw off the homeostasis to the joint. Um, the mechanics in the knee joint may be altered. Um, they're getting back too soon with too high forces through the joint. And, and so I think it's, it's a combination of everything that potentially is leading to this higher incidence of OA. Right. And maybe we're getting lucky with the other grafts because maybe patellar tendon grafts need a little bit more skilled rehab afterwards to assure that you're getting good patellar mobility. It's yeah. not getting scarred down. Personally, I don't see a lot of anterior knee pain in my patella tendon grafts. Maybe kneeling on it, but I think that's common. Yeah. So whatever, kneeling on of course, you're kneeling on where they did the, the surgery. So 
Um, otherwise, I just think we're, we're, we're doing a disservice by not loading the joints sufficiently. Maybe we're getting them back too soon. Tim Hewitt talks about getting them back two years out of, out of surgery is going to be optimal, which I don't know if it's realistic, but on, Tim. the Come research on, Tim. he is saying is two years out. Like, who, can, who can blow two years of their life? With college and high school sports, you know, and scholarships and all that stuff. So, Makes sense in a lab setting. Wink, right. Wink, so wink. there's obviously going to be huge discrepancies <laughs> and, you know, the, the pendulum swing way too much in one direction. Were we too soon? Are we going too long? I think somewhere in the middle, 12 to 18 months is probably going to be your sweet spot. I don't know if we have good enough science yet showing it's definitive because you can say that y- y- it's hard to control a study like that. So, you know, again, I, I would just reiterate with what Lenny said. I feel I feel like we, we don't have a lot of those issues with patellar tendon grafts just because we're so on top of their rehab early on. So I, I would say focus on that. But Matt, what do you got? Uh, Giacomo from Toronto uh, says, Hi, guys. Really enjoy the podcast and the other courses you guys put out. My question is about periodization and where to start an athlete or client. When we are looking to target... An inhibitor, an inhibited or underactive muscle. What scheme should we be using? Is it okay to start with whatever set rep scheme allows them to properly facilitate the muscle, and then move to a five by five for strength? Okay. Good yeah. Good, yeah. Good question. Um, so that's funny. We got we have Matt the Toronto question. That was perfect. Do you know Giacomo? I should reach out. I will say I'm, I'm going to give Giacomo some credit because I think he's heard us destroy some people's names before. In parentheses put how to pronounce it <laughs> which ironically I actually knew how to pronounce that name but uh, uh, you know funny that he, you know they did that so all right so inhibited muscle group after surgery or injury yeah you know how fancy do we get with set rep schemes I, I'll wait because I think I made this I made this problem because when I just came out of school I was in the SFMA and I was like going patterns and ignoring isolation exercises and I think that when someone's getting back to the basics and they have a lot of inhibition from swelling isolated at lower intensity for longer volume and higher reps is really what they need to feel confident in their limb whatever injury they have and get some like neural drive to the tissue so i made that mistake and i don't want people to make that it's like uh, the boring basic cuff stuff then the extensions the hamstring curls like it has its value before you start doing crazy pattern assist stuff rolling yeah all that (laughs) uh yeah you know the norwegian approach uh, which is interesting. So um, is uh, um, uh, you know sets of like thirty are are part of like you know they it's all about neuromuscular repatterning and that's repetition based. So if your primary objective is inhibition, right, muscles not working well, yeah, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna get a muscle uh, not inhibited. What's the opposite of inhibited? Facilitated. Excited. Excited uh, with five reps. Mm-hmm. I just I just I, don't, I think you need more reps than that. So. Nice. I like it. Lexi, what do we got for number three? All right. Margaret from Chicago. In a female gymnast with SI joint pain, how significant would asymmetrical hip external rotation at 90 degrees of hip flexion influence continued symptoms and pathology? If a factor, would you start start with stabilizing the hypermobile hip or improve the mobility on the contralateral. All right, good question for lots of reasons. So, a female gymnast, Mike, what do you got? Dave's <laughs> Dave, this one. Dave's looking. He's already sweating. He's already <laughs> nervous. He's, so, a female gymnast with SI pain, which I think we can say, let's just call it lumbopelvic pain, mm-hmm. right? We won't say it's necessarily her SI pain. She has hypermobility of external rotation at ninety degrees. At ninety degrees, so it's interesting. And then she's, she, I think this is the the real part of the question that I like. Mm-hmm. 
do we work on making her symmetrical? Do we work on making the other side more mobile, or do we work on that side being more stable? Uh, what do you think, Dave? Um, so there's a few layers. The baseline is that all of the external rotation assessments, the laxity testing, all that stuff is going to completely miss the boat if you don't look at volume. I think that a lot of issues in gymnasts come from they're doing too much of the same thing over and over. And I have made the biomechanical mistake of trying to pick apart all the little SIs, you know, ERIRs at 90 or zero, and you come down to it, it's like, well, you're doing 500 volts per week. It's like, okay, well, we could, it's never going to fix itself if we don't address the volume and what they're doing in the gym. So that's one layer. Two is that gymnasts do have a dominant leg. They hurdle with one leg for 18 years. You're going to have weird pelvic obliquities, and they always want to see motion that's symmetrical in all planes, but it's just not going to happen in a gymnast because just like a baseball player has you know, changed that way, they hurdle with one hip for 20 years, and it's going to be always weird on one side. Um, I think that's an important thing to consider. I will say that I, I do think that they lack a lot of strength, dynamic stability, and it's true just hip baseline strength in their glutes and in their kind of like hip rotators, and that causes a lot of issues, micro instability, um, overuse type stuff because the ligaments and the joints just get beat up a little bit. So I would say bigger thing is is periodization and what they're doing for volume in the middle is not everyone's going to be symmetrical. Just like if you correct the baseball player's IR too much, you're going to blow them up. And then third, like, okay, now that we have those as a backdrop, maybe, yes, we can do some strength, stabilize. So maybe she's getting a little, you know, a tweak when she's doing some 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 larger motion skills and it from her laxity. And so I would say a lot of strength. I do a ton of hip strengthening here, like a lot of volume because it's, it's, it's missed in gymnastics. So, so I, 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 you brought up some great points, and you brought up the baseball thing a little bit. That reminds me, literally, like I don't even remember, like ten years ago or whatever. I remember in one spring training, we had all our physicals on our baseball players. You know, so the, the entire organization, tons of guys, just physicals, and we're looking at all the data, and, and we start, we get this big whiteboard out, and we start talking about like what does a, a baseball player normally look like, right. and then we say like, well, what what enhances performance? And let's just use one example. But let's just say shoulder external rotation, right? Like you need shoulder ex- external rotation to throw a ball, but you have more on the right than you do the left if you're right-handed. So our big question was is like, all right, well, do we work on making them symmetrical? to potentially, I don't know, decrease injury rates? Or do we actually facilitate more asymmetry to make them better at their sport? You know, it's a super question. I still don't know the answer. It's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard for other sports. I think you have the background that you've seen what normal people not in pain are, which is challenging for us because somebody walks in with hip pain, is it the chicken or the egg? Is it they had hip pain and it caused some stiffness or were they stiff that caused their hip pain? Right. It's like, who do you know? So I'm trying to get better at seeing People who aren't hurt with normative data, but sports don't really have that. So it's easy to pin the, you know, pin that like, oh well, your hips super lax in this motion. Like maybe they're tight. Maybe that's tight for them. Right. You know, who knows? So. Right. Yeah. No. Interesting. Sorry for a dodgy answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't. I don't think we know the answer. Yeah. I think that's okay. But you know, we, you know, we. It depends. Well, I, Dave said it right. It's probably, there's probably way more going on than that, and yeah. we're just looking at that little thing. So that three. That's good. Awesome. Another great episode. Thanks so much. Head over to MikeRyland.com, click on that podcast link, and there'll be a nice form you can fill out to answer us questions. Uh, been great questions, so keep them coming. They'll be great. Head to iTunes and rate and review and subscribe or whatever, and um, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRyland.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. 
There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.